Welcome to Product by Design with Kyle and Eva, a podcast about product management and product design, where we'll talk about subjects from product strategy to inclusive design. Every episode, we just have a good conversation about all the things that you may already know or not know, and occasionally we'll have a guest from maybe engineering or other product managers and designers to talk about all these topics. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Product by Design with Kyle and Eva. How's it going, Eva? Good morning. Great. And what a crazy morning. Just putting it out there that I definitely told Kyle, yeah, let's record at 10. And then the entire <laughs> time I was like, 11 sounds great. It's perfect time that I can eat my breakfast and play some Zelda. And then, of course, I checked my phone and I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> I was sitting there <laughs> waiting and I had a heart attack. But other than that... Um, Utah's really pretty lately. Have you been outside? Yes. October is, so we've, we've made the jump into October, which in my opinion is the best month of the year that I, I love it. Fall colors, uh, good temperatures, like everything about October is just, it's good stuff, especially, especially in Utah. Cause we have, I don't know, just good temperatures and, and the colors you get up into the mountains and everything. So it's yeah, it's nice. Still a little warm, but otherwise it's going to start cooling down. By nice. cooling down, you mean freezing for half a year? <laughs> no, see, that's the great thing about October is it's, it, you get that middle ground where it's like, it's jacket weather and you know, you get yeah. to choose between wearing like a vest or a hoodie yeah. or a jacket or, or, you know, whatever. So that's, it's another great thing about October. You, you kind of pick I your agree. your style. It is sweater season. Yeah. Everyone's favorite favorite season. Right. Wait, what? No, hold on. Sweater weather. Not sweater sweater weather. season. Yeah. <laughs> or sweater season. Yeah. That's good. Good alliteration too. That's right. All the ladies pulling out a sweater, and then I think guys are kind of going into the lumberjack season. Yes. Is yeah. that what it is? That's it. Flannel. So that's you get to pull out the flannel and the the vests and the hoodies, and that's. That's my bread and butter right there. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that that's I feel like that's a very Utah uh, trademark look too. We have a lot uh, of plaid shirts out in the wild. The second we hit a little, you know, cold, chilly weather, yeah, cools down just a little. It's perfect. It's perfect. But don't get me wrong. I sometimes try the female lumberjack. Too. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but plaid shirt, but. Um, there was something I, I actually really want to share with you that was really funny this weekend. So we took a drive to Midway, beautiful weather, mm-hmm. and the trees all around that drive is just crazy, crazy gorgeous. You see the gradients of, you know, some are still green and then a lot of them are red. Um, very beautiful. And it's the mountains. So, of course, it's just 10 out of 10. And we went to Midway and got brunch. We did like a takeout. Um, distance, you know, picnic. So what was great is that we went to the park. Colby opened his box of brunch goodness. When I looked at it, I immediately was like, oh my goodness, that is ham fried rice that you got. And it was funny because on the brunch menu, the name of that dish was Imperial Mix-Up. And I was like, what in the world is this? This is legit ham fried rice. Maybe I need to provide a visual real quick. This is going to be one of the funniest thing 
Yeah, not yet. Am I sharing screen? No. Can you hold, hold on? Let me pull up this imperial mix-up. And the best part is that they even list out all the ingredients on the menu. But for some reason, me as an Asian person could not identify, you know, from the list of ingredients to call it out <laughs> as fried rice. And I really cannot believe I failed um, on that on that front. But this is not great. I cannot believe it's taking me so long to grab that photo. But once you see it, you're going to faint and roll on the floor because... Okay. Okay. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. I'm going to hit share and you're going to see... Do you see this? Do you see this? I do. Yep. What what is it? Uh looks like fried rice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm telling you. And I have a screenshot of the of the menu that says Imperial mix up and all the ingredients that go with it. You see this? Eggs, coconut rice, yeah. spicy ham, Italian sausage. And 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 I think it's totally fine to have a breakfast bowl with rice and stuff, but it's just funny that it was described in a way that I was like, yeah, that's a breakfast bowl. But then when you get that fried rice, I was just like, what? Yeah. Fried rice. Okay. Yeah, I can I can <laughs> see. Okay. Now I can see kind of where <laughs> the confusion would come in with, with such a thing. When you see eggs as like the first item on yes. the menu you kind of assume that that's going to be like the the main ingredient of it and so yes. when you get oh that is a, true i didn't even think about that when you get a dish that's mostly rice like that when it's like a fried rice dish <laughs> you it's you, it's a little bit confusing because yes. you kind of expect eggs as your breakfast dish and then you get kind of a rice dish so i can i can see the mix up there. I just feel like this is really literally the power of the packaging of, you know, the, the marketing of this dish, turning it from basically again, ham fry rice into something else. <laughs> yeah. And why, like, I'm sure if they call it ham fry rice, nobody's going to order that on a brunch <laughs> menu. <laughs> right. So yeah. anyways, that killed me. And, but yeah, that was a little, little giggles and, just wonderful weekend. Nice. No windstorm this weekend. So anything no. crazy happened this weekend for you? No, no. Nice weekend. Nice weather. Yeah, I bet Midway was really nice. Uh, we we were up there over the summer and it was really, really nice. I bet it's even better now. So good, good stuff. Crazy that there's nothing crazy happening. Well, hold on. I mean, we don't have to talk about this at all. Um, I guess really the only one thing crazy happened this weekend was that the president's now tested positive. Um, the end. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of nice to think about, oh, in the previous few episodes, we've talked about the windstorm. We've talked about murder hornets, all that thing. And now it's like, oh, okay. 2020 is going to go with a bang, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I guess if we want to talk about crazy, a, a good portion of the national government uh, getting hit with COVID-19 is yeah. crazy. But we try not to dive too much into politics on, on our show, right? <laughs> so but that is, I guess, the pandemic hitting the national government is, uh, that's 2020, right? <laughs> yes, you cannot argue that that is not crazy. Yep. So yeah. That is where we are. And shall we jump into it? Yeah, let's do it. So speaking Perfect. of crazy. 
or <laughs> what, what segue is this? Where, how are you, how are you connecting that? <laughs> Let's see. How do we, how do we segue that? Uh, speaking of politics and national government and crazy. No, that's, I don't think that's the segue. Speaking of polarizing, <laughs> we're going to be talking about right. Netflix and Hulu today. How's that one? Wow. It's been a long time coming. And I, I, today I'm capping it to like two main pain points that I run into. And if we want, we can do another episode, probably three, four more. <laughs> I mean, those two apps, they, they, they are giant experiences, right? Like I, as I was picking out different things I want to highlight, I was like, no, I cannot talk about all 50 of them. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're going to focus on two main areas today and just want to put it out there that I'm not judging their pricing model. I'm not judging their variety of content. Those are things that I feel like are talked about over and over again in the media. And I'm sure everyone has some thoughts on that already. So mostly we're going to talk about within their desktop and mobile experience. Uh, what is happening in the app. And we will attach the presentation um, that I put together to the show notes. And here we go. This is a, I, I just kept it very simple, Hulu versus Netflix. And I just want to put it out there. I feel like you can already tell uh, if you have listened to previous episodes that <laughs> I am biased um, because I... <laughs> just think one is more superior than the other one. So that's where I stand. And I'll let you figure out which one I like better if you haven't listened to the other episodes. So yeah. are you ready for this? Oh, I'm uh, ready. And I'm excited. I, I feel like this is going to be the start of hopefully other episodes where we dissect different product experiences. So this is, this is going to be a lot of fun. Yes. And I feel like I have a lot of skin in the game because <laughs> quarantine, I guess everyone does too. Um, it's quarantine time. Everyone's been heavy in the online binging experience. So here we go. Um, there are two aspects I want to talk about. First, let's talk about engagement. And I'm talking about user engagement and how each of the experience, uh, Hulu and Netflix, how they suck you in and what they have done in an interface in their apps to do that. And let's start with the desktop. So I just did a brief count on, on desktop. Hulu offers, you know, about 34 categories and each of them contain about six title cards. So by categories, I mean like, um, including things like topics or, uh, continue watching or their genre categories like action and whatever they recommend for you. Okay. So that's about like, I don't know, 200 and something. Yeah. 240 ish. Um, really doing math in my head right now, 240 title cards. Um, just if you keep scrolling, there's an end to it. They're not infinite scrolling and Netflix is kind of similar. Um, I feel like, uh, they also have six cards on, on their interface, but 39 from what I counted, I I'm pretty sure, uh, it's a static number for everybody, but let me know if it's not, I'll be curious to see how they change that, but around 39 categories and, the one thing that I am very sure a lot of people agree is that for some reason, even though their content counts, yeah, Netflix does have a little more titles on there, but I rarely scroll even halfway down in Netflix. I don't know. Kyle, do you ever scroll all the way down? How much do you spend browsing? Let's put it that way. I don't spend a ton of time browsing. So no, I, I usually 
I don't think I've ever gotten to the bottom of, so I don't know where that you know is. Them? And then uh, I, <laughs> you it, don't know where the bottom is. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know where the bottom would be. Uh, and that. <laughs> yeah. So probably halfway would be a good, a good stopping point for me. And then at some point I just get like tired of the browsing where I just, I, I either have to choose or just give up. And so, um, yeah, <laughs> give, give up meaning like you're just done. Yeah. Yeah. There's, right. there's a certain point where it, it, I'm either, yeah, I either have to choose something to, to watch or I have to just like give up browsing right. altogether. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like you, that does that happen to you more on Hulu or Netflix? There's not a right or wrong answer. I'm genuinely, genuinely curious. Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know if it happens more on one or the other. Yeah. I don't know. It's probably, probably in the middle. Interesting to me. I'm always done on Hulu way faster than Netflix, but um, that also might spawn from my bias because yeah. I already did <laughs> like one of the other experience better. Anyways, so Netflix is doing one thing that uh, uh, they're intentionally doing something to grab your attention. Okay. And let's take a look at what you see when you land on the homepage. Okay. So on the left-hand side of this, um, of, of my presentation, and I'm going to try to describe it as best as I can. So this is me hundred percent just there's no shrinking or enlarging uh, on the web on my desktop on my 21 inch monitor. Um, what you see is basically a giant splash of one single title, right? You see right now it's showing Monsterland, and um, you can see half of the real estate is the you know characters, and the other half is maybe two lines of you know description and the title name. Um, it. Maybe I shouldn't throw on my judgment so quick, but let's look at Netflix first. And on the other side on Netflix, I think everyone already kind of see where I'm getting at is that you get the autoplay trailer and you get the front and center, the left-hand side, you see uh, that it's number one trending in US today and the short description, just like Hulu. But when you talk about like the following content, what do you see? Uh, on Netflix, you keep seeing more title cards, and as I mentioned, they all that uh, they both have similar account of content. With Netflix giving you a little more cards, but the layout is very similar. That they both have these tiny cards. Uh, by tiny, I mean uh, smaller than the what you will see breaking the page that they use um, a giant horizontal box that have also a trailer and also the snippet of the show. So those are things that I'm sure. It, everyone can almost memorize and see it in your dream by now. <laughs> and on the other hand, Hulu, what they're doing that is very interesting that I don't know why they do this is that um, you see the two examples I've attached. This is all on the same page. Okay. So as you can see, it's very consistently a giant splash title cards across the entire screen, almost like a hundred percent, right? Like I see a sliver of what's under, um, but most of the screen, you're only getting one title, right? And the one thing that is different on Netflix is that you really, there's not a spot on the screen that you're not getting new information, especially when they put a autoplay trailer that, whoops, um, is continuously giving you more and more content, even if you're not asking for that. And what that does, I have the mobile example too, but I'm going to this... Uh, uh, idea is what is called idleness aversion. Have you heard of it? Yes. The idea that we don't want to be without something to do. 
Yep, that, yep. Yeah. Yep. You're right on. So basically, idleness aversion is to ideally keep your user uh, busy by providing them more content and more interaction type like uh, visuals, even though there's nothing actually happening. Uh, in the applications, right? For example, like illustrations, animations, through game of uh, game by their interface. And um, one example I can think of right now, Uber, when you're waiting for next time, try to pay attention to an interface. There's that that little map that you can see where the cart is. And that's very intentional to keep you feel like, oh, okay, this is interesting. There's something going on. And how Netflix does it is first, again, the autoplay, autoplay trailer is probably the best and most genius thing they can do to keep giving you content about this show. And each second that they um, play that trailer, it's each second they're wanting to, you know, suck you into, oh, pick the show. And what about this next one? And next thing you see, scroll, you know, a couple rows down, you see, oh, the great British baking show. I don't know how anyone can hate that show. But <laughs> anyways, um, and, and, and then they insert these autoplay trailer to keep giving uh, reasons for you to stay on that page or to, you know, choose this title versus Hulu. Um, I hope that they sooner or later move into something a little more exciting than just a giant gradient overlay with the title. Cause there's really nothing that you're getting from it. The most you can, you know, most time you can spend is sure. I'll read the description to understand what that show is, but how long can you stay on that? Maybe two seconds and you're like, okay, got it. Moving on. Um, versus Netflix. Again, each second you watch the trailer, the more you're hearing, the more you're seeing, and the more you're engaging with the content, even though you haven't even committed to it. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I personally think it's a uh, win-win on both sides because the user is getting more content as long as it's not playing 20 different trailers, you know, at the same time, there's not that um, distraction happening. I, I think it's a good thing. So let's look at mobile. What's happening? This is uh same thing on Netflix mobile. They, they, they play the trailer as you um, browse their homepage and same thing on Hulu. There's really not much you're looking at, but the one thing that they are not really doing your service is that Hulu, if you pay attention to their, so if you're, if you pay attention to how they're using their real estate too, once you start scrolling on um, Hulu, you're actually seeing much less content than Netflix because they are still using their really giant title cards. And with this example, um, you can see I'm seeing maybe three and a half titles here versus Netflix. They're intentionally reducing the content to be shown in, in those, um, smaller cards where on mobile, that, that definitely gives you a lot more to look at and for you to choose from. Right. Um, which I really don't know why Hulu doesn't change their interface for mobile for that reason. Cause it really doesn't give you a whole lot to, to, to go off and, Another thing that I want to point out is that Netflix, they do custom um, visuals or sorry, custom title headers for almost every single show. And even though you see this as an example, the Great British Baking Show it has its dedicated custom design. And those are the little visual interests that you sprinkle in to keep, keep your site, keep your content interesting while telling, you know, your user a little bit more about the content you're presenting versus you see that, yes, this, um, 
hero splash that they're showing Monsterland have a little more custom title art put into it. But the rest of the site, all the other titles, they're all just, you know, the same font and you keep going. It's kind of this monotonous um, design. Don't hate me, Hulu. Um, <laughs> but so, yeah, in terms of just helping the user to not feel like, oh, okay, what's there? What's more? Netflix is doing a lot more to intentionally keep your attention on not only on the page, but on each piece of the content. Um, I just really think that the autoplay trailer is one of the most genius thing ever. And I'm so glad that they auto uh, mute on mobile. <laughs> Thank goodness. And I found while I was doing my research, it's so funny. I found this uh, site called Tech News for You. It's a blog. Um, you can tell it's a little dated. I don't know if it's still active, but they they have this article. I, I don't know if I can call it an article because there's nothing under uh, this title. I just hmm. scroll, scroll down on this page and there's nothing else. Okay, But it says, Hulu's TV applications feature massive title cards that take up the entire screen, which makes browsing for content incredibly tedious. It seems the company has finally realized this and has started to roll out a new interface on Roku and TV OS devices and soon Android TV. Uh, if I'm remembering right, this article was before they pushed out the new interface. So Hulu did their uh, revamp, what, two months ago in July, mm-hmm. 2020. And it, I, I'm, I'm sad to tell y'all that it is still true that the massive title cards are still there it's less massive but it is still i think way too big for um to to, to maximize the real estate that you have if you are really just gonna give me i mean kyle look at it really what hurts the most is the amount of information you're giving the user with the entire page being just three and a half titles, it feels like really a waste of opportunities of what you can be presenting instead. And on top of that, um, you're presenting a very static type of content um, that is, that doesn't provide a lot of visual interest or information. I feel like, okay, that I'm, I'm hammering that point (laughs) um, now. So get the idea. And the, Second, second aspect that I want to talk about today, um, which is the interaction and accessibility. This is where I'm going to bring up most of my mobile gripes about Hulu. <laughs> hmm. I'm sorry, Hulu. <laughs> um, so let's start and let's talk about the thumb zone. And this is probably not a foreign idea to anyone that works on digital products, uh, especially mobile product. Um, very quick. It's just where your thumb can reach on your phone, um, on your screen. And there are areas that are harder to reach, which is if you're a right, righty like me, are you a righty? Yes. Kyle. Yep. So the top left, is going to be the hardest to reach. And if you're a lefty, uh, my husband, husband is a lefty. So sometimes we have this kind of conversation. It's kind of mm-hmm. funny where it's not a problem for me, but there are a lot of lefties using your products. So don't forget <laughs> Um, on mobile, this is a very, very, I guess, more of a problem than desktop. So top right is going to be difficult for lefty. So the center is usually a universally accessible zone. Um, so let's talk about the thumb zone. So using their mobile interface again, so you can see on Hulu, um, a lot of their buttons are actually on the left 
the play button, I don't know why they put all their play button uh, on their big title cards on the left side and to the right of it, it's details. But to me, no, I want play to be more reachable than details, right? And Netflix, very smart. They put it in the middle. I can you suspect or speculate that they have done their homework? I mm. would think so. Yeah. What were you going to say? Oh yeah. That's a really interesting one that you, you can definitely see the subtlety in the design here. And it's a really important one that uh, it, it's a good call out. I don't think a lot of people would think about this one in particular, but it's a really good thing to be thinking about. Yes, yes, yes. And I was worried that this was going to be way too obvious, but really um, if you're building a product that works on desktop and mobile, make sure you spend plenty of time to study how, yes, there are changes that you need to make for mobile that don't necessarily apply on desktop. This is definitely one of the um, examples. And on Hulu, if you keep scrolling too, like the other title cards, whoops, the smaller title cards are not a problem. You hit the you know title cards, it brings you into the show. Oh, but that leads to another problem. I'm going to bring up in a second. Um, but most of them, yeah, you'll run into a lot of left um, oriented buttons a lot. And I'm going to dive deeper into how they built their interactions with buttons. And this is where my gripe deepens. So <laughs> when, let's say when you're watching a show, all these in app overlay where you can control um, what the app is doing or how uh, the, the, the show is playing or you need subtitles, all these controls. Um, I, 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 I think that Hulu is really doing the users, a uh, what is that? Disservice? Mm-hmm. Is that the word? Yep. Disservice? It sounds like such a weird word when you say it out loud. <laughs> um, to the users by keeping the buttons fairly small, I would say. And you can see even when you want to, f- let's talk about the three things you do most when you're watching any content, play, stop, or fast forward or uh, rewind. Okay. Those three buttons, uh, the design is fairly, you know, universally the same, but you can see that Hulu, they put everything towards the middle. When you're watching videos, I would assume most people have it um, in the landscape uh, view. And the problem is that when you have it in the landscape view, the thumb zone changes versus when you have it in portraits, right? The middle then becomes the most difficult part to reach, even though, yes, for lefty and righty, probably still uh, where you can rely on. But the problem is, if you're talking about three most used buttons and you keep the inter- interactive areas just in the middle, that becomes very difficult. As you can see on Hulu, they keep the interactive zone very, very, very limited to the middle versus Netflix. Next time when you get on, uh, this might be something you're already doing, just kind of muscle memory. You're double tapping on either left or right side of your screen and you get to rewind or um, fast forward easily, no problem. But on Hulu, you can't do that. Basically, Netflix sliced their screen into basically three sections. You touch anywhere near that play button in the middle, it will play or stop. But if you interact with the left or right side of the screen, it will rewind or fast forward, no problem. Versus um, Hulu treats their buttons like a true button. You have to hit that box. If you don't hit that box, you don't get what what you want. Does it make sense? Yeah, so that's really interesting. Uh, Again, going back to some of the the design principles that we talked about in episode, oh boy, I'm, I'm, I'd have to look at the episode. <laughs> uh, we, we just have so many episodes now. In our heuristics, uh, design yes. heuristics, when we were talking about, um, you know, making 
you know, give people the simple design and also give them, you know, power users, uh, you know, more advanced uh, things that they can use. So, I mean, this is taking that heuristic and and putting it in action where you, you, you're kind of separating out some of these things and you're still giving the common buttons, you know, the go back, go forward and play like most people are accustomed to in Netflix. But you're also giving some additional options of, you know, if I don't want to have to actually touch the actual button, you know, we've we've made it so that you can do just the tapping on the side to go forward or back and make it very easy uh, as opposed to actually having to hit buttons on the screen. Yes. So putting that some of those design principles in action to make it much easier. Another thing I notice here too is the you know where that timeline of the video is, uh, which is something that I actually use a lot, like to go back and forth. So like the slider of like, hey, where am I exactly? Having that at the very bottom of a screen is tends to be like kind of difficult, especially I know yes. my my screen at the very very bottom is a little bit curved. And so, and when you have a case on too, like it can make it a little bit difficult. So like when it's at the yes. very, very bottom, it tends to be a little bit difficult to slide. So like having that moved up a little is actually yes. very, it makes it easier to move back and forth in the video. Like if I want to slide back a little in and see what happened or slide forward, having that not at the very, very bottom of the video is actually really useful. So that's again... Another point, I guess, to Netflix yes. if we're keeping score here. <laughs> uh, someone's winning for sure. Okay. <laughs> but I'm so glad you brought that up. That's actually one of the things that in a second I'm going to bring up a law oh. that is interesting that is related to this. But yes, anything on mobile, the closer to the edge of the screen is actually harder to, to interact with because I'll, especially nowadays there are different phone sizes, but most of them have... We still have a frame, right? Like my phone, I'm using a Pixel 4. There's still... And a frame. And when you're playing a video, that frame is almost invisible. I'm talking about the hardware of the phone where mm-hmm. it stops being the screen, right? And when the video is playing, you can't really tell where that is. So you're basically trying to hit that button without missing it and hitting your the frame of your screen instead. And also, like you said, um, I have a glass and a case on. So that becomes another dimension that you have to aim for. Um, there are ways to get around that. And like we have, what we have talked about, the two layers that Netflix did first, make your buttons very, very small. Uh, sorry, very, very big, not small. <laughs> and also the double tapping, like Kyle, just great recall of that uh, heuristics. Power users, we know to double tap, it will fast yep. forward. Um, yes, and love all of that. Another gripe that I have is... Um, the language controls. So I am one of those freaks that watch shows with subtitles. Um, <laughs> I know there's like a big controversial <laughs> controversy on on Twitter talking about when Parasite first won all the awards, people are like, oh, subtitles. And then there are people that are coming out of the woodworks and say like, if you can't read that subtitles, like why do you go to school? It was like very heated. Anyways, but doesn't matter what show I watch. I'm telling you, I I, I put that subtitles up. I sometimes some accents I just have a hard time <laughs> um, understanding. Just putting yeah. it out there, and I don't want to miss anything. Shows are good. Yeah. Anyways, for some reason, Hulu put their language control. If you look back to their 
um, overall control panel, you have to go one layer deep to go to that little configuration button to get to your language control. And after you get to the language, language control, everything, like you mentioned, is very close to the edge, very hard to select. And also, um, when it's so wide spanning across the entire screen, there's no way that you ha- you can do it one hand mm-hmm. when it's in a landscape mode. So I th- I think really, I wish that there was like a, let's say a way to say, I want all my interface control on the right side or left side when it's in landscape, right? It doesn't hurt to provide that, 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 that control. And I know, um, yes, we can do it. Uh, in a way that universally works for everybody, which I think Netflix is close to doing that. Cause when you do the language control on Netflix, it's basically covers the entire interface. It's not like sneaky, you know, on the bottom or top or one side of your screen. It's pretty front and center that you just kind of select, okay, yes, English audio and Spanish subtitle, however you want to do that. But Netflix also does not hide those controls one layer deep. Um, you basically see it right here. You know, once you pull up that uh, control panel, you get to choose audio and subtitle versus you kind of have to find it in Hulu because it doesn't tell you what that uh, gear icon really does. So that's another accessibility issue, I think, that Hulu can do. Um, And I haven't even brought up that lock screen button that they added. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone loves it. I love it because really, I... I, I think that is um very thoughtful design that they did because like we've talked about the entire screen, they have done a good job slicing it up so that you don't have to be very precise with what you touch. But with that, it does bring up, you know, an issue of like, Oh, what if I don't, I, I'm traveling from, I guess some people go from the kitchen to the living room to the bathroom. When you're holding your show <laughs> that you're watching, you can lock your screen and, don't have to worry about any of that. So I really do love that lock screen button. It's very, very thoughtful. Um, so I feel like we talked about 500 things in that control panels. But again, uh, I just think that there's a lot that Hulu can do to make it a little more accessible and just easier to touch. I think that's probably the biggest issue that we're bringing up here. And and I, I know we can talk about 500 other things like the brightness control. Also love that for Netflix. Um, but I will leave it at that for now because I want to talk about a very important UX law that we have uh, mentioned. I think I've talked about it maybe at the very, very beginning at the birth of this podcast, um, one of the beginning episodes. Um, you know what? We should have an episode to talk about all the UX laws. Anyways, let's note that down. But yep. so special appearance, let's talk about Fitz's law. So why... What is this and how is it related to what we are talking about? Um, this law uh, basically is one of the most important principle to uphold when you're designing any, any interface. Um, it talks about the time to acquire a ta- target, target being whatever you want to click or whatever you want to you know interact with. It's a function of the distance to and size of the target. It sounds super scientific and complicated, <laughs> but basically what it says is that the target that you want to interact with, the closer it is, the bigger it is, the less effort it takes to access. The far, the more far away, farther it is, and and smaller it is, the more effort it requires. Okay, I feel like that that's pretty obvious, but um, there is a formula if you want to read into Fitz's law. When ah, man, I should have the full name of that 
person that came up with this law too. Um, maybe we'll put it in the show notes. Actually, there's a page that I want to attach to the show notes to to tell you more about this. So there is a special caveat to to this law is that on desktop, okay, bold and italicized um, on desktop. This is only true on desktop. Um, you'll know why in a second. Is that because your cursor doesn't matter how far you go, you can only hit, let's say, a corner or you know the top, bottom, left, right, and it doesn't go any further. Your cursor st- stays in the same spot, right? So the distance doesn't change. So anything that you put in, let's say, your corners or the bottom, left, up, top, right, all the edges are actually the most easily accessible. Does that make sense? I feel like this is starting yeah. to get a little abstract, but uh, any important buttons that you have on, on a desktop, put it in uh, either near uh, an edge or in a corner. Corners are actually the most valuable real estate on a desktop because you can literally close your eyes and get to all four <laughs> of the corners, right? Yep. That's probably the best way to present that idea. Um, the second most valuable real estate, like I mentioned, are the four edges, top, bottom, left, right. I feel like I'm breaking the order. People usually say top, right, bottom, left. Wait, is that more development? Is there like a universal way to order? Those no, I, th- I think I think you're good. I I would probably say top, bottom, left, right, right, left. Yeah, top, bottom, left, right. Sure. I feel like if I start saying like bottom, top, right, left, someone's gonna start like just having a seizure while listening, <laughs> just like, what are you talking about? Anyways, so you get the idea. Corners are the most valuable. Second most valuable real estate is all four of the edges. Um, and I speculate, and I'm pretty sure this is intentional. The One of the biggest different difference when you're interacting with a Mac and a PC is that for Mac, doesn't matter what applications you have, your menu bar is always on top. Versus PC, it travels with the window and you have to find the file button to, you know, find this uh, subsequent menu options. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yep. The, yeah. yeah. So yeah. for Mac, I, I do think it's genius design because I never have to go find, where do I go find my, you know, preference to change my application or whatever it is. It's always on on, on top. Mm-hmm. So anyways... um. This also matters on mobile and especially size of a button. And and this is where on, on desktop, for sure, like everyone gets the same size of a cursor and you can set your mouse to, you know, configure speed and sensitivity differently. But on mobile, we're talking about human fingers, okay? They come, come with different shape and sizes. And the smaller it is, the more difficult it is for someone to interact with any of the button. And I that's why I was so happy, Kyle, when you brought up like on the edge, it's very <laughs> difficult to interact with. And also those small, tiny uh, rewind, play, fast forward buttons that Hulu has also difficult difficult to interact with because yeah, it's a very, very small target that you have to hit. And they are also fairly close to each other too, the distance between each of the buttons. And that also adds to how precise you need to be um, when you want to interact with them. And another example that I want to bring up is, oh, this one hurts me. So every time after you finish an episode, let's say watching Fargo, okay? Such a good show. Um, when you want to go to the next episode, for some reason, it is such a chore to hit that tiny little box on the top right on the Hulu interface versus um, 
Netflix. I can't remember how Netflix shows it. I don't have an example here. Apologies, but um, somehow uh, when when Hulu puts it in that tiny little corner, I have a hard time hitting that box on the top right. Mm-hmm. And on desktop, um, this is a similar problem. And and the, here's the thing too. Netflix has done a very good job to understand what the user is trying to do at each step of the, you know, uh, experience uh, in their journey. So with Hulu, it's yes, they on desktop, it's a little better. They, you can get to that, you know, next episode a little bit better than, than mobile. It's still very, 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 I, I guess, secondary for some reason, they make it sound like uh, afterthought. Well, if you really want to, you can come hit this tiny, you know, area of your screen to get to the next episode. But really, for anybody who just finished a show, what do you do? Either you get out to watch something else, or you just off that application completely, which you don't want your users to do that, right? Um, and second is you are watching the next next episode, right? Netflix a lot more intentional about that. This whole page is, hey, you're done. I mean, in this example, it's watching uh, a new show. But 90% of the real estate is about that next show that you can watch and say, yeah, do you want to watch this new one? Or this back button, uh, do you want to go back? Versus Hulu is kind of like, well, uh, you can keep watching or you don't have to. Actually, this is a better screen for to show that. Yeah. So their back button, ugh, so small. Actually, their entire, again, same problem. Their control panel, I don't know what it is. They keep their buttons so small. Um, this is also at 100, 100% same screen size, unfiltered, undoctored image. You can see uh, that I might be missing a screenshot here. I'll add it in a second. But um, you can see the buttons are fairly small. And so you can see here, undoctored, unfiltered uh, interface of what happens on the desktop. You can see it's again painfully small. All the buttons. Why? You can see the Netflix one very prominent. Um, again, this is the same size screen cap. And on the desktop, actually, when you really pay attention to look at it, it feels really big on Netflix. But then when you're using it, I don't feel like I'm focusing on how big it is, but how easy it is for us to get to the buttons versus Hulu. I think Hulu overall just has everything kind of shrunk to this tiny, tiny text size. I don't know why they mm-hmm. do that, but I, I hope that they make make, make that change because these buttons are just way too small to interact with. And that is my two biggest, um, I guess, I, I was going to say two biggest gripes, but I feel like I talked <laughs> about like 500 things that I don't, don't like about Hulu's interface. Um, let's just put it this way. I think there are a lot of changes that they can make and I'm glad that they are continuing to revamp their interface. The July update was was good. I think they're still missing a lot of very core, like what makes that experience better. They did update their navigation, but I, I think just, I don't know. Am I asking for too much? I just think that there could be a, uh, more thoughts put into it and more changes. And the biggest gripe I have mentioned before, I'm just going to reiterate here. I know we didn't talk about the TV experience today, um, <laughs> but here's my biggest gripe. So I've, I've told you, Kyle, I just don't know why they do this is that after you select the title, I hit play, I hit play on a title. Why does it show like it plays 
but then it's on pause. Does it make sense? It mm-hmm. just have that content. Uh, the video player is is on, but it's paused. I'm just like, why is this paused? Why? Well, if you know I'm gonna watch this content, why do you make me hit it twice? Um, so that's my biggest gripe on on TV. And um, here is one funny tidbit that I don't know if you guys saw when they revamped their interface. Did you see their new uh, promo video for that new interface in Hulu? Hmm, I don't think I've. Mm, no, you're missing out. Missing so. out. So when they first announced their Hulu interface revamp, they they switched out their hero splash to be mm-hmm. you know, hey, check out a new interface, and here's a short video to tell you what is in the interface. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I I'm gonna try to find it because it was so just. It was a joke, kind of, because hmm. you can tell they 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 put money into building the visuals of that video. It's illustrated, it's animated, it's cool, it's fun. But the problem is the content of that video. It was probably at most maybe two minutes long, but it basically tells you it doesn't compare what you could do before versus what you can do now. It tells you check out our new interface. Here's what you can do. You can navigate through all the titles. It was just like who wrote the script it tells me nothing like hmm. <laughs> i need to go find it but um it basically describes the functionality of a navigation describes you know oh click on a title you can go and watch it which i'm like are you telling me anything new not really um i'm, I'm going really hard on hulu and i also <laughs> i'm starting to feel 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 bad because right before um i i, I hopped on to i i was like kind of like oh let's just Google, you know, Hulu UX and see what I can find, Netflix UX, see what other people are saying. Um, I (laughs) stumbled upon this interview. It's like a very short, maybe three minute interview that the Hulu community community coordinator, I can't remember what her title is, um, with the senior product manager at Hulu talking about their new interface. And I just like got to know a lot more about that person. And then I'm starting to be like, am I okay to be saying, oh man, there's a long way to go while I know this is a real person. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I, I I did start to feel like, oh, maybe I need to scale back a little bit. I I don't want to make him feel bad. Um, Because when you see that face, it's like, oh, it's not just the interface. It's, It's a real person. Anyways, I do think that they're really, again, moving forward, but Sorry, Luke. I, was it his name Luke? I can't remember now, but um, let's just pretend his name is Luke. And let's say, Luke, I think you guys are doing great. Keep on doing great. And let's make more changes to make it even better. <laughs> <laughs> but that is it for what I have today for Hulu versus Netflix. And who's keeping score? Um, it's let's just say one to zero. One one to zero for now. Yeah. And I think we brought up some really interesting points and I think even more interesting would be maybe the deeper dive of, I, I think it's really fun. Like the product comparison, you got me kind of thinking about the, maybe even like the next level deeper dive of what are some of the hooks that each of them are doing from, you know, yeah. uh, a product perspective and like how, you know, how addictive is it and at what level does it become too addictive and that sort of thing. So uh, near Isle mm-hmm. wrote uh, hooked a while ago 
Um, I most probably a lot of products folks have, have probably read that book um, about how different products get us hooked on what they do. Get and, addicted. Yeah, get get us addicted. Like, what are the, the what are the ways that we get addicted to to products and um, digital cocaine? Yeah. How can we? How can they add that? Yeah, and he subsequently, I think, repented of his uh, hooked and wrote the book uh, Indistractable more recently. Like, how do you get unhooked from all of these digital products? But anyway, be an interesting topic to dive into. Like, how how addictive are some of these, and uh, what are what are the ways that uh, at what level does it become like just too addictive. I don't know. Maybe that's <laughs> yeah. need to send you to rehab now because you're too addicted to a product. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because obviously like there's, um, you know, there's a lot going into it to, to keep us watching and that's definitely a good thing, but at some point does it become too much? Interesting. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, yes, I mean, yes, I, I love that conversation. And also I think it dives a little bit into like when you have so much power as a dig digital product content company or wh whoever you are, you know, uh, what kind of ethical concerns mm -hmm. do you need to worry about? Right. Cause you're literally changing how people interact with product and, or I, I guess like the, it's the same old conversation that we had, we we talk about when we bring up Facebook and all that social media mm -hmm. too. But I think other digital products are kind of not getting away with it, but um, definitely taking less heat in that yeah. conversation, yeah. right? But like Spider Man, uh, I, I cannot remember who in Spider Man mentioned that, but great power it comes with great responsibility. But I think it'll be interesting to go into that area to talk about, yeah. Is it okay to get your user as addicted as possible to really Netflix all day? Yeah. And that was Uncle Ben for for everybody. Oh, out there. thank you. Yeah. And that's definitely uh not okay to get your users as addicted as possible. Which uh yeah, this what? this is totally this is totally another great topic. We're gonna have to put it on there because I've I've heard some great conversations around this because you, you can not only go in, into it with Netflix, but other like uh, gaming companies, um, social media, there's, there's a whole host of them that obviously <laughs> like their whole, some of them more ethically and some less ethically uh, built around the idea of you need to get people as, you know, into it and immersed as possible. And at, at what point have you crossed the line? And there's a lot of gray area in there. Oh, the second you brought up gaming, I'm like, oh, that's a whole new set of problems. I feel like <laughs> that's a different problem for me, but I'll, I, I'm not going to dive into that now. It's, yeah. I, I almost needed to go to rehab for gaming, just <laughs> putting it out there. Me and my high school friends, not just me. <laughs> it sounds a lot worse when it's just like you alone is addicted to one thing, right? right? Versus you and all your friends are doing the same thing together nonstop. Well, yeah. Wow. Let's let's put that on the on the what is that? Uh our spreadsheet. Our list. Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. This podcast is planned out and just so everyone knows. Okay. <laughs> We're getting more and more structure. Love it. Yeah. But yeah, let's speaking of structure, let's head into our hangout zone. All right. Here we go. Um, oh, or is that yeah. Yeah, is that sh shout out and gripe zone. That's so, right. 
uh, shout outs or gripes, non-Netflix or Hulu related since we. Oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, Yeah, I will. I'll give a shout out Uh, now that we're officially in October to one of my favorite October and Halloween treats, which is going to be controversial because it is the beloved and hated candy corn. I love candy corn. (gasps) Oh no. So yeah. And I know a lot of people say that. I I know people (laughs) hate it, but I, I love it for some reason. Love candy corn. So just a shout out to candy corn, which was first created in the 1880s. So little. What? Yeah. And it was originally marketed as chicken feed. So that was the name that they gave it. Yeah. Uh, This, the, so. Same shape. Yeah, same shape, same colors, everything. Um, but that was the name that they gave it was chicken feed. And it was marketed, wow. obviously, 1880s was, you know, still largely agrarian society in the U.S. And that was who they were marketing to. Uh, it was obviously had to be made largely by hand at that point. So they were doing like multiple passes to get the the orange and white and yellow colors which was unusual for candy at that time um and it's largely unchanged in how it's it's made of don't make it by hand so much uh anymore but a lot of the recipes and whatnot uh still very very similar and uh you can get some great candy corn at Harmon's for anybody who is in the mountain west area they have some of the best but and a little some stats for you. The National Confectioners Association estimates that around 35 million pounds of candy corn or so sold each year. There you have it. Or that's almost nine billion pieces of candy corn. Mostly around Halloween, but if you love it like I do, there are places you can get it for like Christmas and Easter as well. So it can be a almost year-round thing if you know where wow. to look. Candy corn. How much can you eat candy corn in one seating? Be honest. Too much. Oh, we have <laughs> we have some downstairs right now from Harmons, and it is it's it's more expensive because they make they have like I think they make it locally, and it is it's so delicious, so good, and so Wait, locally. Yeah. Wait, homemade. Wait, what? What do you mean? Har- yeah, so Harmons is like a lo- local grocery store. Um, that is just, they do a lot of local stuff. I don't know exactly where they're making or getting their candy, but it is, I'm pretty sure locally and whether they make it or get it locally made so good. So if you get a chance to go to, to Harmon's, pick up some candy corn, it's, it's way, way good. What? Yeah. I, I did not know that there are like homemade ones that I need to at least try it. Cause I, I don't know some of the candy corns that I've eaten. I feel like they're just, uh, you know, yeah. but anything that is coming out of, of a machine is not going to be comparable to homemade or I guess house made. Yeah. Yeah. Harmons, huh? Harmons. Yep. But I've, okay. I've liked it since I was a kid. So I get it. I get that some people don't like candy corn, but I'm a fan. I've liked it ever since I was little. So it's one of those nostalgic think, things for me. I see that. I, I need to try the non-machine made kind and then I'll come <laughs> back to report on if there it changes go. my view. Yeah. 
that's just like one of the few things that I'm like, fall time pumpkin. I, I think I've shared my view on pumpkin <laughs> and unicorn <laughs> is another thing. I'm like, I don't understand, but I definitely I'm going to try that. Okay. Um, so I was going to do another gripe. <laughs> on <the movie. laughs> um, I'm glad that you, you, you set the rule to say no on that because I feel like I cannot hurt Luke. <laughs> Again, I don't remember if his name is Luke. I cannot hurt him more. Um, I, I want to do, let's, let's give some love. The one very important product that has been in my life is Google Calendar. Mm-hmm. I cannot just, I, especially after this morning, I had that mix up and then I actually, I don't check my phone that often. If I did, Google Calendar would have <laughs> uh, avoided that mistake, but I do want to highlight one very crazy feature that Google Cal- Calendar has, and this is something that I don't feel like we, with smaller products, have to worry about as much. I'm not saying that we don't, but uh, it's how universally across the entire freaking planet that it is um, usable. And one of the features that they did, okay, I'm reading from Wikipedia, but this is very very important. Okay. Google also added holiday calendars for 54 new countries in 2016, adding up to a total of 143 country-specific holiday calendars. So this was four years ago. I can only imagine how many holiday calendars they have added for each country. I feel like that would... It, maybe it's not a big deal to a lot of people because it's like, oh, of course, I'm going to get a U.S. holiday calendar. But coming from Hong Kong, like I, when I first saw... I don't remember how it started popping up, but when I first saw all the Hong Kong calendars popping up in my Google calendar, I actually was very grateful because I, for one, for some reason, always forget to celebrate those days. Um, family's not here and it really was a delightful thing to see. I mean, it definitely was functional, but yeah. you get the idea. It's just like, yeah, I always forget when Chinese New Year's is. I don't <laughs> know why, but... And some of these holidays, actually, I don't know if you know, you probably know, um, they change its every year what day they happen mm-hmm. because it matches to the Chinese uh kind of a Chinese almanac calendar yeah. and, and, and changes are, every year. Yeah. Some are based on like the lunar calendar. Some are based on yeah, other. That's yeah. right. Yep. So yeah, that's right. You know what's up? Um so it was very, very, very delightful and just wonderful feature. So thank you, Google Calendar. Nice. That is my shout out. Cool. That is it. Tweet at us. All right. And this is the episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find out more about us and our podcast on our website at productbydesign.co. You can also follow us on Twitter at prodbydesign. That's at prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Larry Evans. And you can also find Eva on Twitter at Yan Chow Chow. See you next time.